Welcome to uh, this week's brand new episode of Bulls in the Rain. We're coming up a post-Thanksgiving uh, celebration. I bet all your tummies are full. Tom, is your is your tummy full? No, I didn't eat a lot, actually. Burgers again? No, no, no burgers this year. We, we actually did a, uh, a turkey titty. Um, a what? Turkey titty. What's a turkey titty? Just turkey breast. <laughs> Oh, no legs or anything? Nope. Just all tit. Okay. Uh, we, <laughs> I, I've actually been um, walking a lot lately. The uh, past like week, I, I, I've decided that I'm tired of being a fat fuck, and I want to lose a little bit of weight. I know we've always talked about it on the show, but I'm actually like doing it now, which is shocking. Nice. Uh, so... Right now, I am trying to walk as much as I can, and with that, I've been trying to condense down my meals, where normally I would eat, and not even on Thanksgiving, just a normal meal, meal I would eat like a platter of food, mm-hmm. and I'm really taking a conservative effort to not eat as uh, bountiful of a meal, and I'm trying to do like a few other things just to, to change it up a little, like eat breakfast. I, I never eat breakfast. What do you have for breakfast? Uh, well, usually I try to go for my walk early in the morning, right before waking up at like 4.30. Mm-hmm. I look like I'm probably trying to burglarize houses in the neighborhood, because I'm walking out there with a flashlight, because it's pitch black. <laughs> but okay. I am, uh, so anyone anyone who lives by me, if you're listening to this, it's just me out there. It's not a creepy guy trying to look in your windows, except for that one woman. You know who you are. <laughs> but, uh. No, I, I just, I, I go out and I walk, and then when I come back in, I usually have, like, a hard-boiled egg. <coughs> oh, that's, yeah, that's usually what I try and have for breakfast, too. Yeah, I read that, like, eating them every day is not, like, remember how, like, when we were growing up, they would say eggs are good one week, they're bad the next week, yeah. yada, yada, yada. My wife just ran through here. What are you yelling? You want me to get that on gifts? Just get that Okay. Oh, also, it's my daughter's birthday today. Oh, those, yeah, those tomorrow. Well, yeah, but we're... Oh, yeah. Today. Yeah. yeah I'm, ah, I'm, see what I did there? I'm an idiot. Yeah, I'm an idiot. <laughs> so, yep, it's my, my little one's last year of single digits. <laughs> did you get the box off the top shelf like your wife asked you to? No, not yet. I'm not worried about that. Okay. Uh, speaking of uh, the wife, how is the Cold War going? Still pretty frigid. Well... No, it's, it's, it's gotten a little bit better. There's been, there's been uh, I don't want to say <coughs> peace talks, but there's at least been negotiations. Okay, well, that's... There's been, con- there's been conversation. Oh. Nothing about this yet. Okay, well, news travels fast in the Bulls in the Ring universe, and, uh, of course, a certain someone had to chime in. So, without any further ado, <laughs> he uh, he's not here, he's not live, okay. he sent in a video recording, uh, <laughs> and I'm going to play it for you, right? It's about five minutes long. 
and he gives his ruling on the Cold War, and uh, he pisses me off within first minute of this, and you're, and you're going to see why. So oh, without gosh. any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, it's the first. time for Holden Court with the King. Holden Court with the King. The king is once again here to have uh, make a ruling, settle a dispute. Uh, in this case, uh, the king is ruling on the Cold War. Uh, as you heard in a recent episode, there is a Cold War brewing in the house over Christmas decorations. And this is a very interesting case. We um, have a house that was originally owned by the family, the generation uh, older than Tom, uh, Tom's parents. Uh, Tom and his lovely wife moved in with their lovely kids, renovated the house, um, took ownership of the house, and uh, all was well. It seemed like a great situation for, for everybody involved. But now the holidays came, and we have this question of, well, whose decorations get to go out in the house? The old decorations that have been going out years uh, and for years and years in that location or the decorations belonging to the um, the new family who have inherited this house. Uh, it's a very, very interesting question. Now, the king had to think long and hard about this um, before he can make a ruling. And I want to say, um, you know, unlike some of the past rulings I've made, I, I think <laughs> we're dealing with a real conflict here. So uh, I do want to preface by saying uh, Mrs. both Mrs. Susan and I—I uh, uh, I love you both, and uh, there is not going to be any favoritism here. I'm going to look at this as a neutral third party. I've put myself in the situation. I've put myself uh, in the shoes of both individuals in the Cold War, as well as Tom in the middle of the Cold War, as I could very easily find myself in a similar. Cold War situation, not over Christmas decorations, but over various other things. So, I've tried to think it through as as much as I can from every angle. And um, here is my ruling: I think that for Christmas of 2020, the final say on decorations should go to the original owner of the property. This is senior, <clears throat> um, but you know, again, I can understand uh, where we're coming from with the new house, more modern, modern decorations. Uh, in the future, I, I think this is probably an unforeseen conflict. In the future, Christmas 2021 and beyond, I think there needs to be a plan for this. We can take turns. Maybe next year, um, the other decorations go out. Maybe in future years, we can make a plan as to what decorations go where and sort of have a hybrid on this. But because this conflict snuck up on us here very quickly, and now there seems to be some hurt feelings and, and, and tension, I, I really do have to rule in favor of Mrs. Senior. Um, we have to remember here, and I, I guess I'll this might get a little heavier than <laughs> you would want it to be. Uh, but in all honesty here, you, you, you got to remember that she, she's lived there for many, many, many years. Um, she's had uh, many Christmases uh, with Tom and, and her late husband and other family members. And, you know, there's probably a great deal of sentimental value in whatever uh, Christmas treasures she has that she wants to, be, to put out. Maybe some of them are ugly. Maybe some of them are dated. Um, but I don't think anybody our age and our point in life could fully appreciate whatever that means to her. And 
without time to prepare and compromise, <clears throat> I really think that for Christmas of 2020, um, the, the, the kind, the holiday spirit thing to do uh, would be to let her have uh, the, the rights to decorating. And, and then we know that next year we have to address this a little sooner and make a plan where everybody can be happy. So again, sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to say your name, but joke and bleep it. Uh, no offense, nothing personal. You know I love you, always have. <laughs> sorry, Tom. But I'm going with my gut here, and the ruling from the king is Susan will decorate for 2020. Thank you. All right, well, that's the official ruling from beyond the wall. Now, that's, that's a different county, so I don't know if that counts for, for Orange County. That's my not, not called in. She, she randomly came into the closet. That's funny. And she heard the whole thing. So. Yeah, he wanted to weigh in, and I, I, he texted me uh, about something else he wanted to do. And then he said he wanted to weigh in on this. So I'm like, well, while you make a recording of it, and we can throw it up. And so he did, and here we are. I, I don't know why he didn't take my option and just burn everything. <laughs> because that's not the Christmas spirit. <laughs> I, I didn't have a ruling in this, and that, that's my, my opinion. Well, you chose to stay out of it, so you waived your yeah, that's true. your vote. Uh, so uh, if you think this is a one-and-done deal, it's not. He has one for next week, so st- you're not going to want to miss this one. So stay tuned for next week for uh, another installment of Holding Court with the King. What's funny is I had no clue about that. That was sprung on me, so I'm very excited. I don't. Even, I, I kind of want to know what it is, but then I don't want to know. You don't want to know what it is. Okay. I asked him if he believed karma was a real thing, and he said no. So it's, it's going to be very interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah, just, just wait. All right, so on to our show for the week. Um, do you want to you jump in here, or...? Yeah, we, as you know, we talk a lot about wrestling, but we never really kind of narrowed down what makes it so memorable for us. So, what do we do best? We make lists. <laughs> we're, we're due for a list, I think. We haven't we're had one since it's before. Been, it's been a week. We need a list. <laughs> and... <laughs> So we decided to make a list of our top ten, and we actually did them in numeric order from ten being the worst. We actually had a little order this week. But that down the one. Right. Oh, are you throwing it to me, or do you want to to continue? Well, I I was just going to, like, it doesn't, for my list, as I guess maybe a disclaimer, some of it is not just, um what you would see on TV. It could be just stuff that I personally remember. Okay. So, I don't know what your list is like, but that's the way I went with mine. Oh, uh, mine's uh, events that happen in wrestling. In wrestling? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. But it's personal. I don't think like, either of us are wrong. No, it's your personal, wherever you're, is your a moment that happened that is uh, that you like the best, I guess. Yes. I guess we should jump right into it. Yeah, I'm going to start with number 10. Why don't you kick us off? I'm, 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 kick I'm curious right how your list goes. And to me, <coughs> this was kind of the beginning of the evolution of where wrestling kind of went. And Good job. Yeah, my, my wife <laughs> is trying to load stuff up there. And we, Sorry, I'm busy. Yeah, you're, you're really fucking this shit up here. But um, my my number ten is it started kind of the way that wrestling has become, and to me it was it might be the original ladder match. Mm. It would be the Shawn Michaels Razor Ramon WrestleMania ten match. Very nice. <clears throat> it just it you didn't see this ever really. I mean you had the you had the cage, 
where you know you had people like uh, Superfly jumping off of it, where you had that, <coughs> but never where they had a a prop brought in as it being meant for that. No one thought of you know when when Superfly jumped off the top of the cage that it would be that. But you, with the ladder, you kind of had to start thinking like this could be used like this, mm-hmm. and it was just a great match. It. I loved everything about it, and it kind of started that whole trend to where wrestling moved to. And it's funny that you see that, and how it was kind of like the the beginning. I don't want to say the beginning of the split, but like where you had the WWE guy that stayed there, and then you had the guy that did defect eventually. So mm-hmm. it was kind of like you you looked at it as like two for the future, two guys who would be in different companies, enemies, if you will, on that end of it. Mm-hmm. So, I kind of like that. Okay. <clears throat> Are you right there? Yeah. <laughs> you may proceed. <laughs> I'd rather watch this. <laughs> yeah. we got to do all this friggin' work in here. Yeah, just take all this shit down. <laughs> This is a lot more entertaining than the the top ten list. Okay. Oh, you're done? Okay. All right. Um, All right, so my... Last minute, just like, you know, as usual. Never prepared. (laughs) Oh, okay. Uh, So my uh, my number ten is uh, the debut of Nexus, uh, which is is probably the most... Is it the most... uh, Yeah, I would say it's probably the most recent thing in wrestling. It happened about 10 years ago, and basically what Nexus was. So, I talk on this show about NXT a lot. NXT is, right now, it's sort of like, uh... It's right, well, right now it's the third brand for WWE, but for a time it was, like, their de- developmental territory. But it started off as, like, a competition show. And it would take eight quote-unquote, rookie wrestlers. Most of them weren't rookies. They'd been around for years, like uh, Daniel Bryan was one of them. They'd have a mentor, so it was a guy or a girl who was already in WWE at the time, and they'd have competitions every week, and every week someone would get voted out, and whoever won got a contract, who ended up being a wrestler by the name of Wade Barrett. So, about a week after the whole thing ends, the last match on Raw... Was uh, it was John Cena against CM Punk, and out of nowhere, these this whole the whole eight guys who were in this NXT competition show show up at ringside and then just charge the ring. They beat the shit out of John Cena and CM Punk. They tear apart the announcing thing. They they beat the crap out of the timekeeper and the announcers and everybody. Pretty much, they just they destroy the entire ringside area. And they create this group called Nexus. And it left such an impact because it, it kind of like... At that time, wrestling was very stale. And it really made this uh, water cooler moment, I guess you could say, for the next day where everyone was talking about it. And eventually, it kind of went to shit. Uh, they just weren't booked right. And I think by the fall, like they kind of just... It wasn't a big deal anymore. Because they always lost. It was just a bunch of bullshit. But their debut definitely is something that cracked my top ten. Because I'll, it's, it was, it was fucking crazy, and it was a, definitely a good moment. Okay. You weren't watching wrestling, so you couldn't. Yeah, that, really... that, that, it, it's, it's probably a modern thing, correct? Yeah, it was ten. Well, it was ten years ago. It was ten years ago. <clears throat> Look it up on YouTube if you haven't seen it out there. It's, it's definitely worth a good watch. I'm going to go with The Undertaker, Mick Foley, Mankind, whatever you want to call it, um, Hell in the Cell match. Mm. I mean, the brutality of it and the fact that Mick Foley just kept coming back for more and more was pretty amazing. And, you know, it was kind of his, as we said with the previous entry I had, it was that that super fly moment that it had. And I'm sure it affected a bunch of maybe upcoming wrestlers or wrestlers that are currently in there that saw that and were like, this is kind of what I want to do, you know. It was it was that that wow factor of mm-hmm. it. So, 
I think that definitely maybe struck a chord with some people, and I, I always thought it was a good match. Yeah. And the fact that that kind of established him as one of the most, like, brutal guys out there who could take punishment. Oh, I, I would say so. It definitely put, it left his mark. Yeah. On, on wrestling. And then not only that, but then, you know, it was The Undertaker and his pay-per-view legacy, mm-hmm. you know, that you could throw him in there. I mean, it, a lot of the focus was on McFoley, but again, oh. the other part of that was The Taker, so. What a lot of people forget, though, is that, like, you know, he fell off twice. Um, he ended up coming back for the main event to interfere. Yes. And <laughs> he probably, according to what I've all the like, books I read, he doesn't remember a single fucking thing of that night after he got thrown off the cage. I could see why, but, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know, if I got thrown off a cage twice, I'd think I'd be in the hospital. I don't, I, I don't, I couldn't even walk down. Well, not even ring. thrown off a cage, thrown through a cage. Through a cage? Oh, and for well, the first time, it was off the cage. And then, off the cage, into the announce table. And they got chokeslammed. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that, that was a pretty... Like, kind of a, again, a wow factor. Yeah. And probably started a lot of, oh, excuse me, people's, uh, you know, mm-hmm. fascination or wanting to become a, you know, a wrestler like that. So. Yeah. Yep. Done? Yep. Okay. Uh, mine is uh, the Austin 316 speech from King of the Ring 1996. The start of it. The start of it, yeah. Um, yeah. Basically, it, it's uh, Steve Austin against Jake Roberts in the finals. Jake Roberts kind of came back with a um, like a born again gimmick sort of thing, where he uh, all about the Bible and all this other stuff. So Steve Austin kind of, in sort of playing off that, came up with Austin three sixteen, and it really kind of it not only kickstarted off his rise to stardom, but it sort of was one of the early stages of the Attitude Era. Oh, yeah, that, I mean, when you think of someone who kind of bridged, I think, that that colossal momentum, I mean, you had, you know, Shawn Michaels and Diesel and guys like that and Bret Hart that kind of were in the middle there, but they were more of like the cream in the cookie as opposed mm-hmm. to the the phenomenon that Hogan was and then the phenomenon that Austin was. Yeah. And that kind of really solidified him making it big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they kind of bridged that gap between so, the two. That was definitely like the start of the second era of just this colossal guy. Oh, yeah. So. Absolutely. Alright, I guess you could say this is a multiple one, but the one thing I always liked was that the fact that Survivor Series was always on Thanksgiving. Yes. Back in the day. Great strategy of it. You know, it wasn't... What's that? I I did not say a word. Oh, it sounded like there were scratches there. No. Um... No, I, I, I like the fact that it wasn't a, you know, a, a Sunday pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. It was in the middle of the week. It, it was kind of, again, where if you were a, you know, a kid growing up, you would have football in the morning, you know, with your turkeys, and then go right into that. It was oh, like yeah. it was like the full perfect day. Yeah, it was. And, I, and, <clears throat> and back then, too, the thing about Survivor Series was the, of how it was set up. I don't like now that it's just kind of individual <coughs> matches. Mm-hmm. I like the way that it was back then. It was groups of teams. Yeah. This group of team versus... I always liked just the format of it. And I, I don't want to say it's a moment, but just how it was set up as being a moment. That's what I kind of liked about it. Yeah. I like that, too. I, I, they still do it. Um, like, this year they had... Um, Two Survivor, they call them Survivor Series matches. Um, it, one was the women's match, and one was the, the men's match. So they kind of they do keep it alive in that sense, but it's, it is mostly singles matches from now on. But I love that. I used to love because uh, you're right. You, you just you watch football in the afternoon. You eat. You Thanksgiving dinner is usually early, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then at 7, 8 o'clock, when the family leaves, you sit down and you watch wrestling for the rest of the night. And for the most part, if, especially if you're a kid, you head off the next day. Because mm-hmm. you were on Thanksgiving break, so you don't have to worry about getting up for school. Um, I always I, So I always did enjoy how it used to be. And then eventually went to Thanksgiving Eve, and now it's just on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. So yeah, that that was kind. Of, I, again, it's not a particular moment <coughs> in wrestling. It's just kind of a a whole thing. It was a whole experience. Yeah, no, that's good. That's cool. So. Um. All right. So my number eight. Um. The breakup of the Rockers. Ew. Uh, this was in January of '92 on uh, Superstars of Wrestling. I remember watching this um, when it happened. And you knew the breakup was coming, you because they there there were some there were some cracks going yeah. on, and for months they would always say, "That's what I miss about wrestling." They don't fucking have like these buildups anymore. It just like it's one week, it's one thing, and the next week that's it, like it, it's over. And for this, it for months they were like having these like arguments in the ring and stuff like that, and finally just kind of came to a head. They went on a the Brutus Beefcake talk show, barbershop thing. Barbershop. Yeah, and they ended kind of friends, and then all of a sudden, Shawn Michaels kicked Marty Jannetty and then threw him through the uh, the barbershop window. And and the funny part about that is that Marty Jannetty kind of disappeared. Like you didn't see him again for a year, and then he came back, and they had like a whole bunch of matches together. But it was just kind of funny that it, this big thing just happened, and then one of them, just the guy who you expect to kind of get revenge on the guy who turned on him, is gone, and is gone for a while. <laughs> Meanwhile, he probably got fired. Rehab, or he was killing someone in a bowling alley. Exactly. I was going to say he, you know, he got fired for something. <clears throat> but I always loved yeah, that, that moment. That was, I, I remember seeing that as a kid, and it was, it was, you know, you looked at it and. That, that was the one good thing, too, about back then. You would have those, um, what would you call them, like a vignette? Yeah. Like, you would have those. And it always, like, I always liked when they cut to it because it it just wasn't the same thing over and over. Just, like, just a match and a match and a match. It broke up it, and it made it more of a show. Yeah. And they don't do that as much anymore. And that was probably, I, I don't want to say, you know, ones that I'm thinking of, but that was a, you know, that was one of the bigger ones that happened during one of those, you know, vignettes, so. Oh, yeah. It, it, I would say probably it's arguably the biggest thing that's happened during one of those things. Um, I was going to kind of make another point about it, but I, I forgot what I was going to say, but it definitely goes, to, oh, and I remember, uh, it's, you didn't see tag teams break up like that. No. Like that really like they split up but they were kind of just uh now it's so much like uh, maybe um, uh, for lack of a better term like aggressiveness like usually it's kind of like one guy left the other guy in the ring to get beat up or they kind of just split up off camera kind of thing and this one man he just like it was so vicious that's a that's a better word for it it was a, it was a very vicious turn and it it's, it was like a true betrayal yeah, oh, that's that's exactly what I mean. Like, it was just... Like a friendship betrayal. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's kind of crazy, the career that Shawn Michaels would have. Like, how that pretty much set everything up. Oh, yeah. Alright, I, I like that one. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm gonna go with, for my number seven, I'm gonna go with the Goldberg run. Ah. It was... It, it was at that special time when it was starting to heat up with, you know, WCW and, you know, uh, WWF, like, kind of going at it. And they had this, just this superstar. And it was, I mean, a lot of them were, you know, jobber jobs, you know, fights and everything. But, like, you would have the buildup of him coming out with the, you know, with the security and just coming out there and just winning and winning and winning and winning and it was like who is going to beat this guy and it was just always fun to like see how long this would go on and it went on for a long time yeah. so I always enjoyed that that little bit of it and 
probably at the time, he was probably one of my more liked wrestlers in WCW. So, I just like kind of everything about it. His attitude mm-hmm. and how everything kind of went down. So, it was kind of that perfect perfect storm for me. Yeah, I... Uh, I, I... I didn't think about that, and that's not a mine, but that's a that's a good one. It, it was very organically done. Yes. Like, I don't think they really planned on that happening, because if you ever... If you remember when he kind of first came out, he wasn't that big of a deal, and then finally, six months down the line, they really kind of started saying, like, oh, he's 22-0, and and he's 30-0, and and mm-hmm. it really kind of took on a life of its own, and then the, until eventually, he just kind of... Uh, he beat Hogan for the title. Yeah, um, it was it was it, it was a slow, steady buildup, but it was it was fun to watch. Yeah, it really was. It really yeah. was. <clears throat> um, my number seven, Mick Foley wins his first world title. Oh, okay. Um, this was in this uh, man December or early January, so of ninety eight, ninety nine, somewhere around there. Um. Probably the coolest thing about this, though, was, and you can look this up on YouTube, but the reaction Steve Austin got, because basically the uh, the Rock was part of like the uh, Vince McMahon's group, um, uh, the corporation, mm-hmm. and they were all at ringside and they were kind of fucking around with things, and then Steve Austin's music hit and the place just exploded. Like it, it's if you want to just see how hot wrestling was in that time, uh, go back and watch that moment because it was loud. Really fucking loud. And it kind of, it definitely helped make that moment better. But also the fact that you just see this guy who, you know, we just talked about him before, he's getting thrown off cage. Someone who just kind of busted his ass for years finally getting rewarded for it. And uh, it was just a really good, feel-good moment. So it was kind of ranked high with me and it's my number seven. Mrs. Foley's baby boy finally got it? Yeah. Yes, she, yes he did. All right. This one, this one kind of hurt me because at that time, you know, Bret Hart was up there, but it was the Montreal screw job. Mm. I mean, it, again, who knows, real or not, if it, I mean, it was really everything about it, just the... Ending of the match, the reactions, the, you know, him writing the, you know, what's his name in the air, WCW in the air, and the apparent backstage fight, whether it be real, there's, there's, it's, there's a aura about it that, you know, is it true, is it fake, was it, you know, that, that's, it's more of the mystique of it, I think, as opposed to actually what happened. Mm-hmm. Is it something that we may never ever find out? Really? Wait, do you really, do you think it's not real? I, honestly, after watching Dark Side of the Ring and everything with it, I mean, it, who knows? It, if it turns out that it, that he knew about it this entire time, it's got to be without a doubt the greatest thing that like the greatest uh, work in wrestling history. I mean, he's been going with it for twenty years. And every time, like, the thing about Bret Hart is, you'll I go on a lot of wet wrestling websites, and at least once a month you get an article. Bret Hart talks about the Montreal Screw Job, and it's a, it's always a different interview. It's, he's just he's always fucking talking about it and how much they they Ted wrestling uh, WWF fucked them, and Vince fucked him, and Shawn Michaels is an asshole. It's like he never lets it die. Um, but I always. I never. I always thought it was real. Um, the one thing that makes it the reason why I always thought it was real is because he stayed away for so long. Yeah. He stayed away for thirteen years, almost a little over twelve years, and but what makes it kind of weird though is that yeah, he went away, but then maybe what was it a year or two after that, Owen Hart died. So maybe, like, the reason why he stayed away was because he just hated Vince McMahon because of that. You know, we'll never truly know. Like, if he came back right after WCW folded, or before it folded, then maybe you could kind of say maybe it was, uh, maybe it was a work, but... 
I mean, it, it's it's funny that like there's two things that would really, I think, we'll never ever find out. Like if it's a hundred percent true, mm-hmm. this could be one of them, and like Andy Kaufman dying, because there's talk out there, you know, like you even hear it from people that were close to him saying, you know, and they say, yeah, he's dead, yeah, he's dead. But you know what? He's one of those guys that I could see like saying it and really be like living in a fucking South Dakota on a ranch somewhere. And then, like, one day just pop out in the blue. I mean, it wasn't... I think it was around the time the movie came out, there was a lot of talk that he... Like, a lot of people close to him said, oh, Andy always said he would do it, and he'll pop out on, like, the 20th anniversary of his death or some crap like that. But then that kind of came and went, and nothing happened. But, um... Yeah, well, that's like Elvis dying. A lot of people didn't think Elvis was dead for a long time either. But you don't hear that too much anymore. No. I think that one is more believable that he's dead. But, like, with Andy Kaufman, that's one that you'll... I don't think you'll ever know. You don't think so? I don't think you'll ever know. And I think with the screw job, it's the same thing. I think these are these are two things that are going to go down where you may never know. Don't, don't you think someone would have slipped by then? I mean, think about it, though. You could really have it where only three people would have known. It really... Well, I can, I'll, I'll even X Shawn Michaels out of that. I don't think he would have known. See, what makes me think it might have been... Well, it was... <coughs> I, no, it would be... I don't even think Shawn Michaels would have known. What it the, was Earl Hebner, mm-hmm. Vince, and Brett. Well, Earl Hebner said he thinks it, he thinks it, it isn't real. He thinks it was, it was bullshit. It really would make sense because he probably would... You gotta think, like, Brett was leaving for WCW. Vince could have went to him and said, Listen, like, we can we can both win from this. You can go into there hot as fuck. The most talked about thing in wrestling. Yeah. If you do this. Although, or you can just go in just like anyone else would when they leave a company. And I get my world title. It, 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 there's so many different... Oh, it's a hundred different. Angles yeah, I don't, I, I don't think it is. I, I, I think, I think it legit happened, but I don't know. It's just very memorable for me. Like, it, it, and it's not so much, like I said, the what happened. It's the mystique of it. Yeah, so that's kind of my my take uh, on it. Uh, oh, number six now. We are on number okay. six. Okay, the um, I have a lot of debuts. <laughs> The debut of Taz in WWF. Okay. Uh, it happened at the Royal Rumble of, of 2000. Um, and you talked before about vignettes. Um, they had vignettes for him for a few months leading up to this. Um, and they would kind of happen like during like uh, matches or during um, like a guy walking down a ring or something. It would just come on for like a few seconds, and then it would just like kind of go away. And he made his debut at the Royal Rumble, like I said, against Kurt Angle, who was undefeated at that time, and beat him. And it was in New York, which is like an ECW territory. And his hometown. Yeah, pretty much. So, um, yeah, it was MSG. So, yeah, and, you know, he won, and... Unfortunately, that was the, that was the best thing that ever happened to him in WWF. But that uh, that his debut was always a, a, a top moment for me. I just okay. wish I just wish his career in, in WWF kind of lived up to uh, how big that debut was because it didn't really nothing really kind of came of it for him. So I hear you. Yeah, I, I'm gonna go with uh, there's a little love in the air, and that is the. Macho Man Proposal. Mm. Not the wedding. The proposal. The proposal. Yes. Okay. Something that is quoted regularly by me, even when I'm just sitting, like, alone, I like, I think about it and I will just say it. You know, it, it just, everything about it, because it was, it was so 80s in everything that it was, and then the wedding was, again, that. But it was just a, it was... Like a good feel good moment, it, 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 and it, it kind of showed the, a little bit of the campiness that was wrestling in the eighties, mm-hmm. and it was just it, the Macho Man being 
essentially him, but like with a sensitive side. <laughs> like over the top, but caring. Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> that, that's exactly how I proposed to my wife, actually. Yeah, <laughs> the same way? Yeah, the, the exact same way. And she said, oh, yeah? She just. I just threw the ring at her. (laughs) Over the romantic. Yes. (laughs) So I modeled modeled up my proposal right after the Macho Man. (laughs) You the ring at her? Two weeks in a row she's been on. Yeah, I know. One more and it's called a hot streak. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, that was my number five. Very nice. Uh, my number five. Uh, Hulk Hogan turns heel, forms the NWO. Ah, okay. Uh, July of 96. Um... Not really, I mean, I don't know what else to really say about this. I think everybody pretty much knows how this story went. You know, Hall and Nash kind of debut in WCW after jumping from WWF about a month before. Um, he's a third guy, comes to Bash at the Beach. Third guy turns out to be Hulk Hogan and just changes wrestling forever. And it starts the war. It's pretty much. I mean, it starts the war and, and helps win the war. And yeah, they, I, they took over his top spot. It's really crazy if you look at the domino effect of what that what that caused. Oh yeah. Um, it really kind of all goes back to that. It's uh, Hogan turns heel. Everyone starts watching WCW. No one watches WWF anymore. Vince gets so frustrated with the product that he just kind of lets the wrestlers do what they want. Attitude Era comes around. Steve Austin rises. Um, he loses so much money because WCW is winning. He lets Bret Hart go out of a contract. That was a 20-year contract. He lets him go. Bret Hart goes to WCW, which in turn caused the Montreal Screwjob, creating the evil Mr. McMahon character which kind of feuded with Steve Austin, and eventually they kind of started winning the war, and then WCW goes out of business, and WWF buys them out. It's just, uh, it's like, a, it's a domino effect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and it all you, comes you, from Hulk you Hogan. You literally break it down into that, that, I mean, you're knocking over pins every time you're saying it. Yeah, so... And, and I'm just going through my head, and I'm remembering every one of these details that keep just clicking through. And it's like, yep, that one app. And, yeah, it's 100% domino effect. Yeah. All because Hulk Hogan... T- See, Hulk Hogan, once again, just rejuvenated the wrestling business. Two times. And that's my number five. Yeah. <laughs> number five. All right. <laughs> I'm going to throw a... a- Curveball here. There's been monumental slams in wrestling. But I'm going to say the one buildup that was pretty big is not Hogan and Andre. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it's Lex Luger and Yokozuna. everything about it. It was just, you know, there was the challenge and this and that, and then just the, the pomp and circumstance of it. It was on the aircraft carrier and the helicopter and, and everything about it. it uh, I believe it was 4th of July, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. So you you had all this stuff, the patriotism. It, it, whoever wrote that and, and saw the, the, the trajectory of it was brilliant. And I just, everything about it, I loved how it just kind of played its way out. And I understand Andre's a big guy, but Yokozuna was just fat. Like, I mean, 
Like, <laughs> it was like a um, Andre the Giant was tall. Yes. And he was. He, you're right. He was tall and big, but Yokozuna was just like this gelatinous mass. Yeah. Yeah. It was more of a centered like weight. Yeah. It was a small. It was like a compact. There was yeah. a lot of <clears throat> a lot of meat in a small package. Yeah. I remember and, that. Uh, and just everything about it, like you know. Guys would try, and I mean, you would see people that just, you, you knew that they weren't going to be able to lift the toe off the ground. <laughs> and then, you know, you, Lex Luger wearing jeans and a chain, that's it. And just, you know, the elbow and everything about it. It was just, it, it played out perfectly. It was, it was that perfect, like, TV moment, if you will. Like, yeah. They, they, everything worked out well for that. It was like the perfect uh, filming. Yeah, it was it was cool. I remember that because I remember the week before they were telling that it was going to happen on uh, was it the Intrepid? It was one of the aircraft. Carriers. Yeah, it was an aircraft carrier in Manhattan. So I remember tuning in the next week, and I was kind of falling out of wrestling around this time because uh, I just you know I was getting older and I just kind of wasn't watching as much anymore. But I remember tuning in, and I remember being pissed because. <laughs> I thought the whole hour was just going to be on this battleship and they were just going to, the whole competition was going to be like the entire hour. Instead of watching the Bushwhackers against the uh, the fucking Beverly Brothers, I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? It's yeah. like they would kind of like cut to it right before a commercial and then they'd go back to another match. <laughs> so like for a whole hour, it's just like back and forth. But uh, it was a cool moment because he came down on the helicopter and... Then he just kind of came in and body slammed Yokozuna. They they build it up good. Yeah, it was a perfect build up. Yeah, it really was. No. Okay, uh, my number four. I just talked about Hulk Hogan, and I'm going to talk about him again. And that is Hulk Hogan. Oh, I should say Hollywood Hogan versus The Rock at WrestleMania 18. Okay. Um, Hogan and the NWO kind of came to WWE. This is about a year after. Um, WCW went out of business, so um, they kind of came in, and it was t- it, there was a, this was like a dream match at WrestleMania 18. Hogan was the bad guy, Rock was the good guy, and it's not I wouldn't call it the greatest technical match, but it, it's probably one of the most probably one of the best matches in terms of storytelling. Mm-hmm. They really had the crowd in the palm of their hands, and the place was just going crazy. And we're cheering for everything Hogan did. And Hogan is supposed to be the bad guy. Yes. So they're cheering for Hogan. They're booing The Rock. They pretty much completely turned the tide of the entire match. And it, it it's just definitely... it's. If I had to recommend someone to watch wrestling and watch like what wrestling's all about, this is one of the matches I would t- tell them to watch. Just how it... Just the storytelling of it. Like, it doesn't always have to be Bret Hart against Shawn Michaels and Iron Man. It could be something like this, which is what the entertainment aspect of professional wrestling is. Oh, yeah. So. And even just the interviews leading up to it and then after it mm-hmm. were great. It was they, they made great sides to a main course of the match. Mm-hmm. Oh, I yeah. Mean, I started watching again, and, I, and you told me to start watching right around that time. Yes, yeah. So I was watching, and the, I, I don't know if it was the before or after. I think it was the before, and how they were just like, as you said, they were eating out of the palm of their hands. Mm-hmm. Like they, anything that they said, there was just <laughs> stop. They would stare at each other. It was just they didn't even have to say anything for like probably a good like three minutes. They were just just staring at each other and the place was going ballistic yeah and that was just the interview yeah that in the match and it was it was gold those are i mean and, and people shit on hogan all the time about like he's not he's not a good wrestler but hogan knew how to read a crowd and he knew how to yeah and he knew how to play the crowd and i think that's such an important factor into being what maybe not such so, so much a wrestler but in some kind of entertainment and the rock's the same way which is I mean, look at him now. He's the, probably the biggest action star in the world today. And 
they could read how the crowd is and what to do and what not to do and um yeah it was all around just it was just fantastic i mean you can say that for a lot of like big name wrestlers though austin's not a great technical wrestler yeah but he has the crowd in his hand um you know on the technical aspect of it i mean the undertaker kane mm-hmm. i mean they're not great wrestlers you know they're not gonna they're not gonna be doing like a figure four or you know arm bars and stuff but they know that they can play the audience just perfectly yeah yeah and i think in, in all honesty that's probably 60 percent of wrestling at this point knowing how them crowds are if not more <laughs> oh i would say so so that, oh, definitely that really kind of made that such a good, uh, good match. Yeah, it so did. I, I agree with that's a very good pick. Oh, well, thank you. All right, so my number three, and this is more personal. It's I, I don't want to say it's a uh, on TV moment, but it's kind of just meeting the wrestlers. You know, we did we went to a lot of autograph sessions. We saw a lot of uh, wrestlers, and just kind of like meeting them, seeing that they are normal people. You know. Pretty much all of them were really gracious. You know, they, 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 not how you would expect someone who is famous, if you will, to be. Mm-hmm. And they were all, you know, and I, I get it, they're getting paid. But you know what? They, for a sport, they probably, out of most sports or, or sports entertainment, if you want to call it that, are really about the fans because they know that that's what makes them. And, and they really do kind of, they show it. And it just shows that they are human and that they do they do care about people. So I, I always enjoyed that. And we did meet a lot. I mean, we met a ton of wrestlers. Yeah, we did. Autograph sessions, so. Do you have a favorite? Uh, I always like King Kong Bundy. So I didn't meet, I didn't meet him. Okay. I didn't meet him. He was cool. I, I, you hear a lot about how cool he is. He was a cool guy. Yeah, he, you know, he... <laughs> He was kind of hammy and everything, and just like a like, just a really like friendly guy for being a giant. Yeah. So. Where did you meet him? At Rock Fantasy. Oh, nice. And How- you know, you know who else was very nice, and I'm not sure if you were there, but Jacqueline. Yes, I was. We met her at the Galleria. Galleria, yes, and she was extremely nice. Yeah, she was pretty. She was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, she was joking. I remember and stuff. So. Yeah. Those would probably be my two. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Very nice. Throwing it to me? Number three for you. Number three. Uh, this is my last one of this of this genre. Uh, the WWF debut of Chris Jericho. Okay. Were you watching wrestling around this time, or did you fall off? This might have been right at the end. Yeah. I can remember seeing him. Yeah, but I can't remember. See, that's the thing. I don't remember if it was WCW or if it was WWF. So this was in August of '99. Um, again, which I talked about the vignettes. They were building this up for probably a little over a month, where it would have a countdown to the, like the Millennium Clock kind of thing, and it was kind of leading to August 9th. And I was reading wrestling websites back then, and I knew he signed, and the speculation online was this was him, but it wasn't 100% sure. These days, it it, it would be 100% sure if, you, if you're reading shit online, but he didn't really know it was him until he made that debut, and he interrupted The Rock, and I remember the, the his name came up on like the big screen during his like intro, and the place went ballistic when he came out, because everyone loved Jericho and WCW. And just the fact that now he's kind of in WWF was such a big deal. And it sort of set the tide, because after him, a lot of people started jumping. And it really turned that tide from WCW back to WWF. Even though it was kind of already in motion, this really set forth, the like, people started to jump ship. So then a couple months later, the Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero and all those guys, they came over. And left and right, people were leaving WCW for WWF. And he, I think probably for the most part, for a smaller guy, he had a, a huge, like, pop and following for him on that. You know, he wasn't a giant, he wasn't, 
you know, the most jacked guy out there. He was kind of like an everyman, mm-hmm. but he had such a following. Yeah. And he kind of, he kind of re, I always looked at, I mean, for a while there, I mean, Austin, Austin was a little bit, you know, ripped, uh, not, not, you know, abs wise, but he had, he had muscles, you know, Shawn Michaels was that way, but Jericho was kind of, he brought in that whole kind of WCW <laughs> frame. They were, they kind of were like known for that. Yeah, they were, you're said, right. You know, the, the small, not as tall stature guy, mm-hmm. not completely ripped up. I mean, you had those, the Billy Kitmans, the, um, what's his name? Dean Malenko's guys like that, that weren't, I mean, that prototypical wrestler on, you know, size or strength. Yeah. So. All right. Your number two. My number two is going to be Owen Hart. Hmm. Just, we were, we were, as we said many times on the show, we were at your house. Yeah. I can remember exactly where I was, and it was just kind of like that, that pause in, in time. It was like, is this real? And, again, you know, you can't find it anywhere on, you know, the, the network or anything like that. You probably have a piece of gold sitting in your basement if it still works. Yeah, you know, I um, I went to my parents' house. Re- it's somewhere. It's it's somewhere in my parents' house. I just don't know where the hell it is. But I have found uh, I have found somewhere we could watch on the internet. Oh really? Yeah, I mean, I could say it now. No one really listens. To this. <laughs> Go on DailyMotion.com and look it up, and you'll find it. The original, really? yeah, the original broadcast, yeah. But it was just kind of like, uh, wow, that you know, you hear about wrestlers dying, but you'd never hear them dying during an event. Yeah. And it was especially just in that like, way. Wow, this is this is real. Yeah. And it, over a terrible gimmick. Yeah, it really was. It, um, they've said time and time again there was no, he had no reason to do that. Like, it was just a stupid idea. Like, there was... He didn't have to come down from the ceiling. Yeah. It, it, it's a waste. It, it kind of makes it... It's sad because it's like, what... what? How would his career have turned out if he never... If he never died that night? The worst part is, though, he had it kind of... He was, he was headlining some events, you know, against Brett with stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He was king of the ring. You know, he... He had it, and then the just like it just seems like they use and abuse you in wrestling, and he was definitely used and abused and moved into a shitty thing. And the fact that that's how it ended for him, yeah, like you know he didn't die Owen Hart, he didn't die the King of Hearts, he died the Blue Blazer, and it's just sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. So. It really is. That was my number two. Um, this is probably one of the only ones on here where I didn't watch it as it happened. Um, and that's uh, Hulk Hogan body slams Andre the Giant at WrestleMania three. Um, I love this moment. I'm a big Hogan fan, but just past that, I like. You know, you talked about the story with Yokozuna. They kind of did the same thing with Andre the Giant, where. They said, oh, he hasn't been defeated in, what, 15 years, and no one's ever slammed him, which is both bullshit. But at the time, you know, there was no internet. No one could really check those facts. Um, and just the, the crowd reaction when Hogan picks him up to slam him. Um, I belonged to, I was on some wrestling, uh, like this uh, Facebook group kind of thing. And this one guy commented, he goes, oh, I, I, my, my mom and dad got me tickets for that, and I was there. So I asked him, and I said, how was that crowd reaction when he slammed Andre? And he wrote back to me, he goes, we were on the ground floor, and when he picked, up, when he picked Andre the Giant up, you could just feel like, just the, it, it, like the, the, the reaction just kind of came crashing down. Around everybody, it was so loud, and that was the fucking Silver Dome, which was huge. Yes, and he, yeah, and he says he goes, he you felt it, you felt like everything just kind of come down on us as he picked him up, and 
he's like it was just a surreal moment so i just that's one of those things i kind of like wish i could have seen live because it probably was so cool but um every year around wrestlemania time i'll watch that match um just because uh i don't know i just always kind of it's not the most exciting match <laughs> like the best part is the last minute but it's just it's just one of my favorites all so. right Alright, so my number one then. Number one. My number one is th- this is a house show moment. <laughs> okay. This is a house show moment with a building that is no longer there. And this is a house show moment with the with the king. <laughs> and it's because of the king. Okay. And we're not talking about the one north of the wall. We are talking about Jerry Lawler. Oh, that king. <laughs> okay. Yes. All right. Back in grade school, this would have been, I believe, like 90, maybe 93, 92, somewhere around there. This was when um, Bret Hart and Jerry Lawler were feuding. Mm-hmm. And me and the King went to Fernwood, Pennsylvania, out in the Poconos, to go see a match. It was in this uh, resort. And we go there. And Jerry Lawler is in the ring, mm-hmm. and we're, you know, everyone's booing him. All the kids are there. We're, they're all booing him. And Jerry Lawler turns to uh, me and the king, mm-hmm. and he says, he goes, this is why why animals eat their young. <laughs> and he said it directly to me and the king, and it was just kind of like, we, we had that, like, moment, if you will. Was this a Raw? No, this was just a house show. Oh, just a regular show? And actually, it... Part of it may have been taped for Raw, but I don't think that match was. Okay. So, but it was just, it was kind of like that one, that one moment where we, it was, you know, me and the King with a wrestler, you know, and it wasn't just like an autograph signing. This was a building full of people and he singled us out. And that was, that was kind of our, uh, our, my moment with, Your with him. Claim to fame. <laughs> Yeah, and a side note on that, a few months later, I was looking at WWF Magazine, and I'm actually in a photo in the magazine from that event. Oh, yeah? Yes. So it was... <laughs> but that that was kind of like my... my one moment with Jerry. Okay, nice. So... Um, so before I get to my number one, I kind of wanted to do, I, I also had a, a personal moment that was sort of like a, um, I guess a runner up and, uh, that was the Survivor Series Super Supper Sweepstakes that we, ah, yes. we were ah, in, I forgot about that. me and Tom and a few other people went up to a house show in Liberty, New York in a high school. That's how bad WWF was hurting at the time. <laughs> and we, yes. uh. We got on a commercial that is, uh, it was played on Raw the following night that a lot of people consider to be one of the greatest Raws of all time. It was where Steve Austin stunned Vince McMahon for the first time and Mick Foley kind of came, made his Cactus Jack debut and, uh, we were on, (laughs) we were on the commercial for Survivor Series Superstar. I forgot all about that. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. Do you have that somewhere? It's on the WWE Network. <laughs> oh, yeah. Go they to the... Show, yeah. Um, cause I actually went to go see if it was still on there, because I know sometimes they they edit it out, and sure as shit, it's still there. Really? Yeah, September of 90... Just look for the one where it's at MSG. Um, and Steve Austin stuns Vince McMahon. And that's... Uh, You'll see us. It's some... I forget what part. I think it might be after the Cactus Jack match. But we're in there. And then the funny part... The funny part is... Is that... I don't know if you remember this, but we did it twice. Because we did it with just the... We did it with just the group we were in. And then later in the show, they came back to us. And we did it with a whole bunch of other people. So the following week, or the week after that, I think... We were on another commercial... (laughs) But this time, with like the, the like a bunch of kids were with us, so we were on twice. But the first time was the best time because it was just like our group of friends and not the friends we have now, just other group that we used to 
pal around with. Yeah. Uh, and that, and after that house show, we we met The Rock. And Farouk. Yes. Or Ron Simmons, yeah. Ron Simmons, yep. Yep. Yeah, I, I totally forgot about that commercial. Yep. I will. I'm gonna have to go on there and look at that. Yep. Uh, oh, so my number one uh, is the Ultimate War returns at WrestleMania Eight. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, he's he left after SummerSlam. Hasn't been seen in months, and came back to kind of help Hulk Hogan. And it, it was just a great moment because you had. Everyone, it just took everyone by surprise. The, the people in the place went ballistic. The announcers were going crazy. He came in out of nowhere, ran like Mach 2 down to the ring, just clotheslined the shit out of everybody. And, uh, yeah, it, it's something I watch probably once a month. It's one of my favorite, well, it is my favorite wrestling moment of all time. Really? Yeah. Hey. Yep. I mean, he always had a great entrance, but, yeah, you... you him not being there for that long and then the, to probably get that was probably real good, so. Yep. That's I'm it. trying to look this up now, this uh, this commercial. <laughs> yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll send you where it is. Uh, do you have anything else you add before we Start the wrap up. No, I I think we again another uh, list that shows that we did not say anything pretty much the same. We didn't. No, I thought it, I thought we might have one or two, but it kind of worked out. Yeah, I mean that that was that's where you kind of get it. It's that whole thing where we we both dif- think differently on certain things. Yeah. No. All right. Well, if you, I like it. Good. Well, if you uh, have your own personal moments, follow us on Twitter, Bullring PC, Instagram, Bullring PC, Facebook under Joe Tom, or uh, what's the other one we are on now? Parlor. Parlor under Bull, Bulls in the Ring. Uh, you can find us on Podbean, Podcoin, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Music. Please hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Rate and review us so you can get us out to the masses. And Tom, that's it. Yes. All right. Well, until next week, I am Joe. I am Tom. And we'll see you next week right here on Bulls in the Rain.